So I need you to pray for me today. And uh, as we go throughout this uh, series in the book of Hosea, it is, um, Hosea is a very unique book. Um, it's been a challenging book to study and uh, a convicting book to study. And I want to get it right. Preaching, thus saith the word of God. And um, I want God to help me with the deliverance of his word and the application of his word. And so I really appreciate your prayers for me, uh, not only today, but throughout uh, this series as we, we delve into um, the book of Hosea. Now, Hosea is one of those books you might not be as familiar with as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? It's in your Old Testament, and uh, some of the verses will be on the screen um, for you to follow along with. But I'm going to do something that I have never done before in uh, delivering a message. I've asked the Lord to help me to feel what, I, uh, what Hosea felt. And I don't know that I can do that. I've asked the Lord to help me comprehend and understand what it is uh, to, to feel what God has felt. Because Hosea is a picture of, of God in, in, in one sense. Um, Hosea's wife, Gomer, would be unfaithful to him. And it is a picture of Israel and Judah's unfaithfulness to God. And so I'm asking God to help me to better understand and comprehend what it is to feel the pain and what it is to feel the hurt that God must feel when we're unfaithful to Him. When we aren't serving Him the way that we should. When we aren't loving Him the way that we should. Loving Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. That is the first and greatest commandment. And so what I've done in this message is to try to get in the mind of Hosea. to Try to understand and comprehend what it must be like to go through what he went through. And so that is the message I want to share with you today. Good morning. Thank you for being here. My name is Hosea, and I'm a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. And you'll never believe who I'm in love with. I want to tell you my story. It's almost unbelievable. Sometimes I have to pinch myself to see if I'm dreaming. And uh, as unbelievable as it is, and as crazy as it will sound, it happened to me. It was painful. It was a burden that I had to bear. But it just didn't happen to me. It happened to God. As his prophet, 
He chose to use me to demonstrate the pain and the agony that he goes through when his creation is unfaithful to him, when his creation chases after the things that will never satisfy. And as bad as it hurt me, it hurts God even worse. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Let me go back and start at the beginning of the story. As I said, my name is Hosea. And I don't know how things are where you're from, but in my culture, names have a really huge significance. My name means he has delivered. If It's really shortened. If you translate it all out, it means Yahweh has delivered. You know who Yahweh is, right? Yahweh is the sacred name for God. It's so sacred, I don't even like to say it. But that's what my name means. And it's really important that you know that. The fact that Yahweh loves his people and loves this world and the people in it is so very important to this story I'm going to tell you. It's really important to your story. It's important to the story of every broken man and woman. So a little bit more about me. As I said, I'm a prophet. I'm a spokesman for Yahweh. I served in the 8th century BC. At least that's how you keep time. I heard something pretty amazing happen a few hundred years after I died. The Messiah was born, but more about him later. It's during this time that I watched four different kings of Judah come and go. I watched Jeroboam II, king of Israel, pass off the scene. And when that happened, the whole nation went into utter chaos. I watched with my own eyes. The nation began to crumble. I felt so helpless. I tried to warn the leaders and give them God's message, but it seemed to go in one ear and out of the other. And it's during this time that God told me to do something you will never believe. You see, Israel and Judah were unfaithful to Yahweh. God had been so good to us. God had, had promised our forefather Abraham that he would make out of him a great nation. And he did. He gave Abraham and Sarah a son named Isaac. And he had a son named Jacob. And you know the story how they ended up in uh, Egypt trying to find food for their family. And long story short, our people became enslaved. And God sent Moses to deliver our people out of slavery. It is a wonderful thing to be able to read uh, uh, the Word of God and, and see how God had delivered our people. And, and even though during that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, we weren't very appreciative and we weren't very faithful and we complained a lot and griped and groaned a lot, but God was faithful to us and finally put us in the promised land. And, and we were living in a land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was amazing. It was wonderful. We saw our enemies destroyed. Many times we never even had to lift a sword. God was so gracious and faithful and merciful to us. Then 
we started noticing the other nations around us. And we noticed that they all had kings. So we went to God and we said, God, we want a king. God said, no, you don't want a king because if, if you have a king, he's going to force your children into labor and he's going to take your lands and he's going to do all these things. But our people would not listen. Our people would not listen to God. And so, no, they said, we want a king. And so, well, God gave us a king, King Saul. And all the things God said would happen, happened just like he said they would. It seems like we were never satisfied. We were never grateful. We were never content with what God had given us. And so, God sent judges, and God sent kings, and God sent people like me, a prophet, to give his message to a wayward people. And so, that's what I tried to do. God had been so good to us. that We allowed the gods, the, the false gods, the pretend gods of the nations around us to influence us, and we saw them pray, uh, and, and they were uh, thinking, uh, asking their gods for uh, fertility, and they were asking their gods to be uh, gracious to the crops that they were raising and all of these things that were happening, and they were unfaithful to Yahweh. They forgot how good Yahweh had been, how good God had been to us, and how He provided. They Forgot that he was in control, that he was the creator. And we just allowed life to crowd him out, and he became more like a good luck charm rather than the sovereign king who he really is. He became what we might say in our society, just kind of a spare chariot wheel. But it's then God asked me to do something you'll never believe. I don't even want to tell you. It's so crazy, so far-fetched, so, God forgive me, so ridiculous. You'll never believe it. He told me to do something really, really strange. He said, go to yourself, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. I told you you wouldn't believe me. I really don't know how to say this. I don't want to offend anyone. I've heard that this is not very politically correct in your society, but God asked me to marry a woman who would be known as a whore. God asked me to marry a woman who would be unfaithful to me. God asked me to marry a woman who would do all kinds of ungodly things while we were married. God knew that she would hurt me so badly. But He asked me to marry her. God asked me to marry a woman who would be an unfaithful wife. Yes, God wanted me to know how he felt. Now, God is a perfect husband, and I was far from being a perfect husband to Gomer. God had been everything Israel had ever needed, everything Israel could have ever dreamed of, but we were unfaithful to him. He provided for us, but we abandoned him for other lovers who could never give us what he could. 
And while God was chasing us out of his love, we were chasing all of these other gods out of our lust. Yet over and over and over again, God reached out. He stretched out his arm. And we continued to go in the other direction. We abandoned the one who cared for us. You guys have bottled water. We don't have bottled water where I come from. We have to take it out of a well. This is pretty cool. It's like Israel was an unfaithful wife. Israel committing spiritual adultery against God. So God used me as a real-life example of what it must be like to love someone with all of your heart and to give and to sacrifice and not be loved that way in return. God was abandoned by someone he loved, and I would be too. So I did what God said. I married a beautiful woman named Gomer. Now let me tell you a little bit about Gomer. She was the daughter of Diblaim. Do you know him? I didn't think so. I remember I told you before that names mean something in my culture. Now nobody laugh when I say this. His name meant double layers of grape cake. I heard somebody laugh. Double layers of grape cake. How much would you like to name your child? Double layers of grape cake. That's what his name meant. Now, it sounds funny, but it wasn't so funny in our society. It, it, it really referred to someone who was completely given up to sensuality. You, you think about someone who, who, who uh, indulged and gorged themselves on grape cake. Well, his name meant someone who indulged themselves in sensuality. So it really wasn't a funny name at all. Gomer's dad was a pretty lewd dude. So you can imagine what kind of childhood she had. Her dad was a real piece of work, I'm telling you. And Gomer, her name meant completion. But not completion in a good way. She would be a woman who was completely filled with idolatry and wickedness. I love Gomer. I loved her so much. So like I said, when we got married, I had hopes and dreams just like any other doting husband would. I knew what God had said. I knew God told me that she would leave, and I knew that God said she would be unfaithful, and I knew that God said that she would hurt me the way Israel had hurt him, but I just didn't see it at first. I mean, we had this wonderful honeymoon, and, and even though in the back of my mind I knew all of the things that God told me, I found myself just falling madly in love with her. Before long, Gomer was expecting. God gave us a little boy. And then God told us what to name him. Did I tell you that names mean something in our culture? He said, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. Did you get that? God wanted us to name our little boy Jezreel. Now Jezreel is very significant. It, it, it means God sows or God scatters. But God tells us why to name him that. Maybe you've heard of the valley of Jezreel. 
it's pretty close to where I live. It's between Galilee and Samaria. Well, anyway, in this valley, there's a lot of people who've lost their lives. Could you imagine naming your child for a city? A city that's known to be a city of bloodshed? A city of, uh, 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 where, where tons of people have lost their life? Well, that's what God wanted us to name him. You see, a, a man by the name of Jehu was used by God to wipe out King Ahab and his family. But then Jehu took matters into his own hands and went above and beyond what God had told him to do and ended up attacking the house of David. He went way too far. So in naming our son Jezreel, God was reminding us of a horrific valley where horrible bloodshed took place by Jehu. And he reminded us that the house of Jehu would be punished. Well, God fulfilled this prophecy in 752, and the valley of Jezreel was overrun by the enemy a little later. And even though God had given us this precious little boy, he didn't have a very precious name. Every time we said his name, I was reminded of the coming destruction that Assyria would bring and the devastation that would come on Jehu's descendants. As Jezreel began to grow, we continued our life and continued our marriage. Gomer announced that she was pregnant again. I was excited, but the words that God had told me the years before just kept ringing in my ears. I didn't even know if this baby was mine. I had some doubts. Gomer seemed to slowly start drifting. I wondered if she had been unfaithful. Every time she left home, every time she glanced at another man, every time she was restless in her sleep, I wondered if she was thinking about somebody other than me. I wondered if she had been unfaithful. I wondered if I was the father of this coming child. I, I had no doubt about Jezreel, don't get me wrong, but I wasn't sure about this little girl. Yeah, after nine months, a little girl was born. I held her in my arms as I did Jezreel, and God spoke to me again and gave me another name. La Ruhamai. In your language, it means no mercy. Some people even translate it not loved. Could you imagine naming your child no mercy? Not loved? He said, call her name no mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Every time I looked at her, I thought about what God said. I was reminded that God said he was done showing mercy to the house of Israel because they had been unfaithful to him. They had prostituted themselves to the gods of the culture. And God says, my mercy is done. My heart turned to Gomer. She seemed so restless. When other men would pass her by, she had a lustful look in her eye. I, I tried, honestly, honestly I did. I tried to be the best husband I could possibly be. I, I tried to love her with everything within me. But it never seemed like it was enough. Enough. 
And even though she had just finished nursing Loruhamai, I wondered if she was being faithful. And then it happened. She said, I'm pregnant again. Child number three was on the way. And as our toddler became more independent, Gomer was spending less and less time at home. There were times I didn't even know where she was. She always came home, but something seemed off. Once again, I had the question, is this baby mine? God said she would be unfaithful. God said she would do unspeakable things. Had it already started? And so in a few months, I held the third child in my arms, another boy, and I looked at him and God said, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Lo am I, his name means not my people. And I often wondered if maybe there was a dual meaning to this name. Yes, God was reminding Israel that he was not theirs and they were not his but was this God's way of saying that this little boy was not mine? Was this God's way of saying that this woman that I love with all of my heart, the woman that I had so passionately uh, been in love with, had given birth to another man's son? I wasn't sure. But then God spoke again. And when God spoke this time, it was different. Reminded me of the covenant that he had made with Abraham. When he spoke this time, instead of bringing my focus to the despair and the devastation of Israel and Israel's unfaithfulness and, and, and bringing my attention to Gomer and Gomer's unfaithfulness, he brought my attention to his faithfulness. In the midst of all of this despair and devastation and heartbreak, God gave me a glimmer of hope. He, he used a really important word, the word yet. He, he had said that these bad things are going to happen. I'm going to say these are not my people. I'm going to say I'm not going to have mercy on them anymore. But yet, he says, the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. He gives a glimmer of hope. He says, yes, I want to, to just wipe them off the face of the earth to say that they are no longer my people Yet there is coming a day when they shall once again be called children of the living God. I'm telling you, the last few years of my life have been tormenting. I've been loving a woman with all of my heart, yet it seemed like the more I loved her, the more distant she had become. It seemed like the more I gave, the less appreciative she was. Yes, we were the parents Three wonderful children. But I felt hopeless and discouraged. And now God has given us a glimmer of hope. Yet in this God's message was that little word, yet. Did you see it? 
Look at it again. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. A glimmer of light, a glimmer of hope in the darkness. A reminder that even though he said we were not going to be his people, he was still making a way for us to be his people. He was going to make a way for them to become the children of the living God. And, but, but, but it didn't stop there. He kept talking. He said, and the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head. You know who that is, right? You remember I told you I would come back to the Messiah later? He said there's coming a day when Israel and Judah will be under the reign of the one that God promised. You remember what He promised David? We all come under His reign. All come under His headship. All come under His lordship. And they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. You see, God revealed to me that there would come a day that this divided kingdom would one day be gathered together as one kingdom. And they would come under one head, the Messiah, Jesus. The one that God promised. And these people that had been living like spiritual prostitutes, the people that had forsaken Him, the people that had chased after the world and the flesh and the devil were going to be offered mercy. The very thing that God said, I'm running out of. The people who didn't deserve to have God as their father would have now the privilege to be called His children. And I know you're sitting here asking me and asking yourself and asking God, what in the world does this have to do with me in 2021? I've got some really bad news for you, and I've got some really good news for you. Bad news is, you're Gomer. You're Gomer. And I'm Gomer. The bad news is, we've all been unfaithful. To the faithful God who loves us. We have all chased after other lovers. When the lover of our soul has come running hard after us. We have all run the other direction. We are part of that group. We have played the spiritual prostitute. We have been ungrateful and have treated God that way and flirted with other lovers. And you know what? God had every right to say about me and to say about you, I'm done. I'm not going to have mercy anymore. I'm not going to be uh, allow them to have a chance to be a part of my family anymore. God could have said He was done. That's the bad news. <laughs> There's something It's called the good news. The gospel. And the good news is God wasn't done. God is not done with you. 
Just like he wasn't done with Gomer. And just like he wasn't done with Israel and Judah. God is not done with you. That's why he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to make a way for you to be forgiven. He sent Jesus to make a way for you to be called His people. He sent Jesus to show mercy one more time. And today, if you will turn from those other lovers and turn to God, He will forgive you and make a way for you to come home. Do you know that God wants to have a personal relationship with you even though you have treated Him the way Gomer treated me, even though you have treated him the way Israel and Judah treated him. God loves you more than you can imagine. And he does not want you to continue to run from him, to continue to run to the arms of other lovers that can never satisfy uh, the, the void in your heart and in your soul. He wants you to run to him. His arms are open his arms of forgiveness and reconciliation are open. Maybe today you feel like your name has no mercy. Maybe today you feel like your name is not loved. But dear friend, a disciple named John who came on the scene many years after I had passed away said, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is ready, willing, and able to show you mercy. Maybe today you feel like your name is not his people. And it never could be his people. But God wants to adopt you and make you his child. Years after I passed off the scene... Another man by the name of the Apostle Paul said these words in your New Testament. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God has poured mercy out to you. He's made mercy available to you. Today I've tried to put myself in Hosea's shoes. This message really isn't about Hosea, and it's really not about Gomer, and it's really not about the children, and it's not about Judah or Israel, or even about us. This is about God's redeeming love. And there's something important I want to make sure you take home with you today. We've all been guilty of being unfaithful to our Creator. Paul said in Romans 3, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. 
all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You and I are guilty whether you like to admit it or not, whether you will admit it or not, spiritually speaking, we are just like Gomer. We've all mistreated the lover of our soul. And our Creator, who had every right to write us off, lovingly pursues us and makes a way For us to come back home. Paul would go on to say in Romans 5. For while we were still weak. At the right time. Christ died for the Gomers. Hmm. You could literally put her name right there. Christ died for the ungodly. That's me and that's you. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love, notice, for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I'm glad God did not write us off. That God didn't just say, I'm done. God had every right to send another flood and wipe out all of creation if He chose. But instead, He sent an ark of a different kind. The ark of the Lord Jesus. And all who get on that ark, all who place their faith And him will be safe from the wrath of God that is to come. Because spiritual adultery was serious then. And it's still serious now. In our reading this past week, we read these words from James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You notice what the next word is, adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, yet he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But praise God, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You say, but I've been unfaithful. Yes, we've all been unfaithful. But we have a faithful God who is faithful in love and compassion and grace and forgiveness. And He is willing and able to forgive you today. Hosea was in love with a woman who would be unfaithful. It's almost unbelievable to think of the depth of love that he had for her. But it doesn't scratch the surface in comparison to the depth of love that God has for you. You and I have all been unfaithful, ungrateful, has spurned and rejected the lover of our soul, yet he keeps loving, yet he keeps reaching, yet he is still patient and kind. There will come a day when he quits striving. There will come a day when he will leave people alone. You will never find what you're looking for in the lovers of this world. It is only in Christ that you will find the true meaning and the true satisfaction that you're looking for in all the wrong places. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?